This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello and welcome to Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I have with me tonight a a writer who I am uh, familiar with from Twitter, and I like their tweets so much, I back some of their comics. That's a common story that you'll hear on this podcast. Um, But I was a big fan of both the stories, the artwork, and the creators in Toddler Apocalypse. And uh, the writer George O'Connor is here to talk about his uh, current Kickstarter project, Charlie Spot, the four-issue series. And it is on Kickstarter now. If you're listening to this when this episode comes out, you'll have about 10 days until June 16th to back Charlie Spot, which I know you're going to want to do once we get done talking about it. And um, we're also going to probably hear about George's newsletter, his other comics, some of his other work. And I have to ask him about being the Aflac duck on Facebook and Twitter for a year and a half. So maybe we'll get to that. So stay tuned. But uh, please welcome to the podcast, George O'Connor. George, it's so nice to talk to you. Like I said it off air, but I'll say it on air. Uh, it's wonderful to connect with you virtually face to face after, you know, following you for years. The great, like I said, the great thing about Twitter is you get to find all these people that are like, if we lived next door, we'd be, we'd be buds. Um, yeah. And, you know, especially now, like, and you know, as, as I've gotten older and time becomes, you know, more precious, I just want to be surrounded like in person and virtually on a Twitter timeline with like good, positive people. And that's the vibe that you're putting out there. You know, that the, you know, people putting positive energy into a community I care very much about, you know, so uh, thank you for making my Twitter timeline better. And thank you so much for taking the time tonight, man. Well, no, that's that's very nice of you to say. Um, yeah, I, I have a nice time uh, online on, on Twitter. I use the block button liberally. Yes, 100%. And, and it helps. Um, yeah, I think it helps a lot. And yeah, I mean, I use it. I mean, I follow other things, but mostly it's uh, 
comic creators and artists, you know, um, and uh, the the indie comics community in particular. And yeah, I think it's a it's a great community, and you can really cultivate your Twitter timeline, have a nice experience. But um, you know, sometimes you're fighting against the the algorithm. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, but like discovering, I really didn't discover Kickstarter comics until the pandemic. I hadn't really. Yeah. I went to my local shop and I got different things, but it wasn't really until the pandemic that, and like being more online on Twitter that I discovered Kickstarter comics. And then um, I've backed, well, according to my wife, way too many. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we thank you. Yeah. Um, she was yeah, not yeah. as excited as I was to have that super backer badge. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that, that shows your dedication. Right. The craft in the community. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, so I got into comics about 13 years ago. After I, I've been a musician since I was 16. And and that kind of just desire to be creative and work with other creative people um, has just been lit in me since then. And it's taken a whole bunch of different paths, web series, podcasts, pilots, screenplays, all this stuff. Uh, and it led to comics 13 years ago. Um, and I... I love. I fell in back in love with the medium I, I read as a kid. Kind of dropped out, you know, around that 12, 13, 14 range. Right. But I mean, in my heart, I'm a geek, so I was always keeping an eye on it. Uh, had friends who managed comic shops, and so you know, they always kind of like gave me the here's what's going on in you know the world of DC and whatever in the early 90s, whatnot. Um, but yeah, around uh, 2010, uh, the well, the first time I went to San Diego Comic Con in t- uh, 2008. Um, I just kind of really fell in love with, you know, the, like the, the black of a bedroom, the geek culture and really discovered the creative side of comics. Um, and that, like I said, that has just led to down this path where it's one of the two main creative outputs that I do there and tying it back to you talking about Kickstarter and, uh, the pandemic, I've made it a priority especially like a New York Comic-Con, a San Diego Comic-Con, where I was going there as a fan to always carve out time to go, like, especially New York Comic-Con, slowly up and down the alleys, you know, up and down, you know, Artist Alley to just see what jumped out. Um, And so when the pandemic hit, I absolutely took that mentality and and that money and (laughs) really, like, doubled maybe tripled down on the amount of backing i was doing on kickstarter again you know not only because like i mean in 2020 for a ton of reasons um you know one i believe i believe in the indie comics ecosystem i really believe in the kickstarter platform so i want both of those things to survive and thrive um indie creators you know it's at least for me i lost the number one way I can connect and make new fans and, you know, get my books out there, you know, sure. you know, trying to like, you know, do what I can to help everybody, you know, stay afloat and, and navigate. And then you just realize the quality of stuff that's up there. You know, I, the first Kickstarter I did, um, you know, about 13, 12 years ago, it still kind of had that stink of begging, 
Um, <laughs> right. You know, that, that you're doing me a favor. Yeah. And to see how it's evolved in, you know, in the grand scheme, a really fast amount of time where, oh no, this is not, this is not begging. You, you are seeing professional level work and professionalism, professional level professionalism. That sounded so much smoother in my head before <laughs> I tried to get it past my tongue. Um, but you know, the quality of work, the care, the passion in there, um, it's an incredible platform to be discovered and to discover stuff. Yeah. 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 And especially when we've seen in recent years, um, you know, how, how tough it can be to, to pitch something. Um, the margins are so thin that yeah. it seems like with any publisher, um, but especially creator owned that. Uh, you, it's tough to get like anything made because they want something that's going to sell. And, you know, some publishers do kind of use Kickstarter or some type of crowdfunding as a proof of concept. I mean, I've seen it with folks that I've, you know, my virtual friends on, on Twitter who I've, I've, you know, back, they've been on the podcast or I've backed their thing, their comic, and it's gotten picked up by somebody like Scout or yeah. like some other publisher. You know, and it's like, well, you, if that didn't have that ground level, like Kickstarter support, you know, it, you you might not have that other audience. And even with the, some of the smaller indie publishers, like it's amazing when you look at, you have a great Kickstarter campaign, you have like two to 300 backers, but being able to, you know, be in previews or, well, it used to be Diamond, maybe it's Lunar now, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, the amount of of copies you can sell. And that's important. You make something you want you know, you want people to read it, you know? Yeah. I, and that's, that's where I fall, Leo. If, if, and nothing against anybody that like, look, I like in the truest form of sense, I do it for myself. Awesome. You know, you know, we, whatever helps you get through the day and, and lets you feel creative. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm still an eight year old, which means like I create something. I was like, look at what I made. Right. That's part of the cycle. Yeah. Uh, no matter how gray the hair gets. Um, <laughs> you know. So it's, it's, and I've been DIY since my first band when I was 16. Um, and so I, I, I want to get this stuff out one way or another. Right. Uh, and it's been fantastic just to see all these different avenues open up, you know, whether you're, you're somebody who like, likes the tactile of holding a book and now it's, financially feasible to to be able to do that to hold your own book um or you know the the web comic platform and that's become a very viable model as well it's just oh, yeah it is it continues to be an exciting time and kind of an empowering time for creators and then you know once you start diving in and you start learning more about the business you know, it, it becomes more and more attractive to like, maybe I will do this myself. It'll be more work. Um, you know, and who knows how many people I'm going to reach, but I'm, I'm someone who doesn't mind doing a little extra work to have a little more control. Um, but then also like you were talking about the, like through a Kickstarter or, you know, a Patreon or something like that. Now you're making a real connection with that person buying your book. Yeah. And that's 
invaluable when you're trying to build a career, when you want to keep telling stories. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean that whether or not it's, it's like through like Patreon subscribers or through a newsletter like you have. Mm -hmm. And, and I encourage everyone to go and sign up for, uh, George's newsletter. Um, cause I really enjoy it. Um, uh, yeah, especially this, oh, I, I was, I think we mentioned it before we started, but your, your most recent episode talking about going to like, a wrestling match with, um, is it your son? Yeah. And, um, it, yeah, just that having that type of connection and like, just made me think a lot about the expectations of fatherhood and like what I thought it would be like, what it's actually yeah. like. And, you know, sometimes I struggle with like those, those moments, you know, in terms of like wanting to show my kids something that I enjoy and they like have no interest, you know, but I try to be there when they're like my daughter, my, my oldest, well, I have two daughters, but my oldest is 10 and has gotten very much into my hero academia right now. Okay. All she wants to talk about. <laughs> um, and I haven't really watched it. Uh, and, uh, but I try to like pay attention and <laughs> like, there's going to be a quiz later when she talks about yep. it. But having those moments of connection, like whatever, you know, whatever it might be and having those moments are important. Um, um, yeah. And, and just this like recently, so my son's 13. Um, and in a short period, we, we, tr we tried to show him princess bride and he, it just didn't do anything for him. I think my wife is still heartbroken <laughs> that it just didn't connect, you know, on the flip side, um, you know, I've now got a Marvel movie going, buddy. Right. You know, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it with the parenting is we, I mean, we want to introduce them to stuff because we love it. We're passionate about it. And, you know, we do have our little mini me's and yeah. like, hey, if I like it, maybe he'll like it too. Yeah. Uh, and some of it is, and some of it isn't. And just kind of remembering that they're their own person. And keeping your ears and eyes open to meet them where they are, you know, because it's a it's it's the long game, right? Like it, mm -hmm. it's making sure that they know that they can bring whatever they're enthusiastic to us, and we'll listen, we'll pay attention, we'll give them that that time, you know, to just build that, and you know, maybe when it comes to trickier stuff, that trust has been built up. So when it comes to like, okay, this is going to be uncomfortable, but there's this decade, you know, track record of like, I can talk to, I can talk to them. We can have a connection, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it. Um, no. yeah, that's, that's part of where it's, you know, it comes from, you know, for, for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, um, yeah, I, I've tried to like, we, we went to, Disney World, I guess, a year or two ago, and I was very excited to go to the Galaxy's Edge and in mm. Disney World because I was, a, you know, a huge Star Wars fan. But um, my kids, they're not, you know, they're not into it. And you just gotta, you know, you gotta find what common ground there is. And like when they find something that they're passionate about and want to talk to me about it, yeah. I, you know, I want to be there. I want to hear about it, you know, because. Uh, you know, it took me a little while to realize it's not the the thing. It's not Star Wars or My Hero Academia. It's like the kids are passionate about something. Let's, you know, let's let's encourage that because that's yeah. what we like to see, and let's make sure that they know that we're you know interested in it. Um, although I did, 
I, I, I wrote, write for another website called Gate Crashers, and it, mm. after that Florida trip, I, I I wrote an article called "The the Rise of Their Resistance" about how I was <laughs> bummed out. My kids don't like Star Wars. It was a very very cathartic writing experience, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Damn it! I had a thing and lost it. Um, anyway, yeah, it, I similar ish. Yeah, I will I will sum this up as quickly as possible. Um, real early on, like when he was three or four, maybe a little older, uh, both my wife and I were like, oh, I think he has a natural inclination to be a drummer. Um, and as a guitar player, all, you know, like I wasn't like, you know, my son's going to play football or my son's basketball. It's like, I'd really like him to be a drummer. So I'd have somebody to jam with. (laughs) Um, but like after six or nine months, um, and like I, there was some natural talent there. I'm not saying he would have been a YouTube sensation. But like I've been around music long enough to understand, like always, oh, like I said, there's some natural instinct just in his DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, but like after six nine months, he was like, eh, "I'm not interested." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> you can go do whatever you want." <laughs> uh, and, and, oh, that was it. Is that you know? T- speaking of you know, meeting them where they're at, like I know so much more about Minecraft and Roblox than like I ever want to. But mm-hmm. like if 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 that's what he's interested in, and as I'm clicking clicking on it, if that's where his creativity is coming out, you tell me everything about your Minecraft world, your Roblox world. You know, you share your passion and creativity. Right. So, you know, so you know that your passion and creativity is important um, and and can be joyful. You know, and and as he continues to find himself and find his avenues, again, hopefully kind of just building up that part of him right. that enjoys that and 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 just dives in hopefully with just abandon you know no don't don't think just let your passion go and see where it leads yeah and yeah and i mean charlotte's gotten into like my hero academia and other like animes and she really she loves to draw and her style kind of awesome. has gone towards like uh manga and um yeah and that's just what 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 that's what she likes to do and you know going into comic book shops from when we were kids she likes comics but it's she definitely has her thing in it and it's just mm-hmm. like yeah whatever you want to draw yeah. you want a book to get better you want to show me this absolutely i love it it's great and um especially coming from someone i have like no artistic ability whatsoever when it comes to drawing so it's like just amazing to think like what well, she's like 10 and that's like really good yeah <laughs> it's, like amazing to see yeah you just you just give them the tools um yeah. when when Logan was, you know, he wasn't born yet, uh, but I was working with somebody who's a fantastic musician, like a Berkeley level musician. And his son was a very good musician as well. I was like, how did you get your son into music? He's like, I just left the stuff around. Right. It was, it was the, the, uh, at this house, you know, in behind this camera is the rest of these studio slash finished basement. And the guitars are out. The electronic drum kit is out. It is, you know, this room is not off limits to him. Right. So, you know, if his curiosity takes him, like all this stuff is here for him to to play with. You know, same thing with like with anything. Like I said, you know, looking at Minecraft, not as a video game, but like he's building stuff. You know, he's he's thinking architecturally. And stuff like that, and that's mm-hmm. 
that's cool. And that's building up a part of his brain. Who knows where it will lead? You know, the, the, my hero academia drawings, that's her way in who knows where, who knows where it leads, but we found a way in. Right. So just, you know, we just keep encouraging that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes that's, you know, all you can do, meet them where they are and loving and encouraging them. And, you know, you know, that's it. And those, those good moments will come. Um, you know, one of the things it kind of, I wanted to talk to you about too, and looking at like your website, because you've been involved in so many different things creatively, whether or not it's music or writing a screenplay or short yeah. film and comics in particular, um, your website, uh, if you, when you go through it, like the main thing that screams at me is like your love of collaboration. Yeah. Like if I read through that thing and I'm like, all right, what's your main takeaway about George O'Connor? Uh, it's, it's like, he genuinely seems to be somebody who loves to collaborate and make something. Your whole website is just geared towards how can I help you or what can we do together? Or what do you think is it about you that you gravitate more so to anything else? It seems to that love of collaboration. Was there something earlier on or is it being in a band since you were a kid? I think that's part of it. You know, if, um, I, I think I saw a behind the music of Motley Crue okay. like real early in my creative <laughs> development. And that whole documentary is about how the four of them came together and they were, they were a crew. Like they were going around uh, LA and they had each other's backs and they didn't care. You know, they were like, they were together and they were going to make it together. I was like, that sounds great. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so for me, I think that's always kind of felt like the, the goal. Right. Like, how can I put a crew together that elevates each other and has each other's back for a greater good? Um, And then, you know, I mean, who knows which is the chicken, which is the egg. Okay. But, you know, my day job is an advertising and marketing copywriter. So, you know, that's all collaborating with, you know, the, the art director that I'm working on a project with or kicking around ideas with my creative directors, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so again, you know, chicken egg, I don't know, but I know I love talking about creativity. I know I love being creative with other people. Uh, you know, the hair will go up when I'm sitting with somebody else and we're kicking ideas around and I might throw out, you know, Oh, this sounds like an interesting idea. They're like, that is, but what if we did this? And like that moment where you can feel it get bigger and the hair goes up. I'm like, I am addicted to that. Okay. Um, and, and comics is a great medium for that love for that type of creativity. Um, and I think one of the things I've, I've learned over the years, and I mean, one would love to give it to 16 year old George. Um, uh, but I can't, but I can, tell any young creator I ever talked to um, is, you know, I found the best way to work with people is you paint a target. Like this is, this is what I'm trying to do. Here are the guardrails. However you want to get to that target within those guardrails. I don't care. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, I care about the goal. I care about the target. I don't care about the path. Um, because, you know, in uh, focusing on the comics medium, 
I will never understand page layout, acting, camera movements as much as as an artist. You know, going back to Charlie's spot, Meredith Laxton, you know, uh, Savannah School of Art, you know, train. You know, I, 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 I'm not an expert. She's the expert. So right. why am I trying to shackle the expert? Um, you know, the colorist is Ali Pepitone, but I've been really lucky to work with some fantastic colors. I'll never understand color theory as much as they have. So, you know, tell them what we're going for. Get out of the way. Right. Um, lettering. You know, I, I am an okay letter. I'm fine. I will never, I, I won't be the reason I will never get Eisner nominated, but I won't be the reason you throw a comic down and disgust. Okay. But you know, again, go, you know, Charlie Spot, Taylor Esposito. Taylor Esposito, yeah. Fantastic letterer. I mean, the guys, you know, got multiple books every Wednesday for a reason. Yeah. You know, I I I know enough about lettering to know how much I don't know. And to and to be able to recognize really good lettering. Um, because when lettering's done right, you don't notice it. But a letterer is crucial in in the store in storytelling, in, mm-hmm. in expertly leading the eye through the page to the point that they don't realize they're being led through the page. You're just getting the experience. Um, and you know, I, I, I think Taylor's over a thousand books at this point, you know, I've got 12, 15 issues under my belt. That's, that's, there's no, there's, they're not the same. Right. Yeah. I I, I get you. We can both say we're letterers, but we're (laughs) not the same. Um, so, being able to hand all of these things over and allow them to bring their expertise, to bring their personalities, to bring their experiences into it. Um, not only does it make the thing better, um, but I, I like to think it also helps them feel a little more ownership over the thing, especially in, in, you know, kind of more of a traditional comics thing where the writer is kind of like the first, like, here's my idea. You know, um, well, how do you, how do you get somebody invested in somebody else's idea? You let them play, you build the sandbox and you invite them to play with the toys. Right. You know, um, yeah. and you don't get precious about it. And, you know, it, you know, it is kind of a best idea mm-hmm. wins. And I, I always want to point it out in Charlie's spot. Um, you know, Meredith was such a dream co-creator uh, and collaborator. If you read Charlie's spot to the end, if you stop reading uh, the fourth issue at page 18, that's where I thought the story ended. And I was so proud of myself, Jimmy, when I wrote, when I was like, ah, this is the ending. I'm a good storyteller. What a great ending. People will love it. And I showed it to her. She's like, no, that's pretty good, but I feel like it needs more. What if we did this? And it was like, that's the real ending. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the ending that's going to make you cry in the best way possible, that the best stories make you cry. Um, and, she, you know, and I and I think the other reason I keep telling the story is because I know, you know, the default is the writer. It's like, oh, the writer really nailed that ending. No, the writer was smart enough to shut up, hear a good idea and like say, yes, that's that's how it needs to end. You know, and that that the last two pages. You know, that's take us from like a 97% to 101. That's Meredith. 
And that comes out of collaboration of not shackling anybody, not saying like, no, this is my idea. You do my idea. It's like, no, I, I like playing. I really do like playing. And um and yeah, Charlie Spot is really all the the all the better for it. Um mm-hmm. four issues. I mean to talk about the plot of Charlie Spot and uh it, it, very simple. Charlie is a veteran in a park, he has a spot, he hangs out there in the park, he gets money, sometimes he'll sell some paintings. And yep. I mean, Charlie has a heart attack. He goes away, comes back. Someone's taken his spot and the story goes off from, from there, from Charlie's, you know, from that moment. It, it is a very, I mean, one of the things I loved about it, George, is it's a very grounded story. It is not superheroes. It's not, you know, some type of like fantasy element or science fiction, but it's also the, I felt like, uh, and I don't know if this was an influence in any way, I had it had a very strong like Midsummer Night's Dream. There's like a very great, great callback. There's great just callback. a wonderful quality when you start to meet the other characters in the park and the other buskers, and you kind of see how the story develops. There is a, a, a almost an otherworldly element to it with some of those characters that I absolutely loved about it, and I think you know that has to be both you and the rest of the creative team all working together to kind of pull that off a hundred percent. Um, and I, you know, again, I want to give credit to, um, to Meredith, uh, and Andy Schmidt from comics experience, uh, CEX publishing. Okay. That when I first brought them, you know, the, the, the nascent part, nascent idea, they were like, okay, you know, I see some magic in this. You should really lean into it. And then I got kind of the permission to, well, let's see how far we can push this. Right. Um, and, you know, just a bit of like, well, let, let's see what happens. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, you know, what I was playing with was like the, the, the long and short is Charlie Spar, one of the reasons it, it is what it is, is 10 years of going into downtown Boston uh, for work. And kind of like seeing the same, again, I don't know if they were homeless. I don't know if they were buskers, but for 10 years, there were these people in the same spot, you know, throughout all year, every season. And just a bit of noticing that and like, there's got to be some system set up. Like there's the, uh, like, like these people, these handful of people are always in the same spot. There's got to be something there. And then it was the realization of like, oh, I'm the interloper. Like there, you know, that, that I go home at night, right. you know, I think of, th- I think of this as like my place. Cause I work here. I go home at night. There are people who live here. Um, and so you're kind of talking that midsummer night's dream, which I, which is such a fantastic pull because I, you know, to me, it was a bit of like magic. Like there's, there's something going on that nobody else sees. Right. Um, and wanted to kind of play with that idea you know, literally and figuratively um, that there is something magical going on here. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's, I find it very cool that, that you had picked up on that. And yes, I, you know, all credit to Meredith and Allie for visually making those magical moments pop 
and yeah, Andy for kind of like giving me permission to to push it because that was out of my comfort zone. But it was a lot of fun to start playing in that sandbox. Yeah, uh, one of the other things I really loved about it is when you think on a, on one level, and we always not we. I don't know who he is. I don't know why I said we. <laughs> but uh, folks, just talk you, you talk about like stakes for certain things, right? In terms yeah. of caring about the characters, you have to there have to be stakes. And on one level, it seems like, well, what are really the stakes of Charlie Spot? It's a, a guy in a park, and he he can't sell his paintings like at, at this one place, or he can't yeah. ask for change. Like, are the stakes really that high? But for for Charlie, because of everything that he's going through, when you start to learn his backstory, it is very important to him. And by the people he meets and opens himself up to, you realize how high the stakes really are about like Charlie Spot. It's it's somewhat you know deceptive in that way and i really love that about it thank the you. other thing I, I, the other thing i do want to say that i i really loved is kind of how um a, a lot of the dialogue it, there were some very comedic moments that played really well but it, you know not like slapstick funny um there's two officers in it at one point that that talking about the the homeless and then the other officer corrects them that now we, we refer to them as unhoused and they have like yep. argument about that. They just had the training. There's like these real elements of a uh, very realistic dialogue. Um, and it, it's, it's played a little bit for uh, the humor in terms of them arguing about the, some of the finer points. And there's a couple other moments too, that I just thought were more whimsical, but um yeah, just really, really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. What I wanted to try and do was, you know, again, tell what on the surface feels like a very simple story, right? Like, oh, he lost, you know, you know, like you said, lost his busking spot and he's trying to get it back. Um, the degree of gift difficulty I put on myself was like, I don't want readers to know what the real story is until the end right like we we you know i want everybody to go like this seems like like an overreaction like it's a park it's a it's a central you know it's, it's a boston common you know central park sized park he can he can find another place to sell this stuff but very quickly you see it is super important to him that he get this spot back yeah. Um, and what I wanted to tell is this, and I love taking normal people and putting them in, you know, ridiculous situations. So it was that moment of like, how can you take something and just keep spinning it out of control? And, you know, kind of one of the reasons I gave myself permission to write that page that you talked about, about the police officers, is it's a moment where it's completely out of control. We go down this path that seemingly has nothing to do with our story but it has everything to do with Charlie losing control of the situation. Yeah. You know, and then it was just really fun to write. And then watching Meredith, you know, again, what Meredith's style had such a wonderful way of when it needed to be grounded, it felt real when it needed to be ridiculous. It felt right. And when it needed to be comedic, it was comedic, you know? So just trying to use all of her tools you know, to, to let her shine, you know, cause again, like, yes, I, on a, on a, I guess more mercenary level. Yes. I want to tell the best story I can tell. 
Uh, I also want it to be a lot easier for everybody to get their next gig. Like I want this thing to be as good as it can be. So Meredith can use that and go to, to, to use it and say, you know, this is what I can do. And somebody goes, I can use that alley. You know, wow. Those are great colors on this book. I can use that. I mean, Taylor's fucking godfather at this point, <laughs> you know, but you know, it's another, you know, it's another one for him to go, you know, look, I will treat Batman the same as I do this indie Kickstarter project, right? Like I'll bring the same professionalism, you know, to that. Yeah. You know? And then, you know, again, let's get just mercenary. Cause there are a lot of levels to this. Uh, I am hoping to create a good atmosphere for other creators. So when I reach out to somebody, they say, Hey, would you like to do this? They go, Oh, let me think about it. And they look up and they go to Meredith like, Hey, he just contacted me. What was it like to work with them? You know, I I'm going to do everything in my power to, to make it a good experience. So then I can be known as somebody who makes these things as, as smooth and fun an experience as possible because making comics is hard. Yeah. It's so it hard. <laughs> Yeah, no, no part of it is easy, <laughs> but in there the is, part, yeah, there is something about when you, you know, as a writer, you're wanting to write. Um, when you get, when you, you know, you get those pages back from an artist, there, I, there's, there's like nothing. That's the there's nothing like it. And I mean, I've written a few like short comics. That's, but still, you get a, those couple of pages back, and it's just, it's, yeah, it's. There's nothing like that. That feeling that I've. Right that I found yet. That is the dopamine hit. That is the, you know, playing the slot machine. Yeah. You know, and it, and it coming up all sevens or, you know, whatnot. Um, I mean, those are the, those are the best days. Those are the best days. And it's, I mean, I always find it interesting of how somebody else interprets what's in the script. And I mean, I try and, uh, I try and write the script. This might sound weird, specific, but flexible. Like, these are the things I need. This is why I need them. Okay. You know, um, yeah. everything else is, you know, again, it's it's up to you. I don't put camera directions in there. I mean, if it's an establishing shot that I feel like needs to be there, I'll throw it in there. But again, to see the interpretation. Um, and I mean, I really can't think of one time where an artist is like, yeah, I read the script and I thought it might work better as this. Where I wasn't like, oh yes, that is much better than what I was thinking, <laughs> you know. Because again, you know, they're they're the experts. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading an uh, an article early on from Matt Fraction, where he basically said, "I will never tell an you know if an artist wants to try and do something, if they change something, I'm not going to say no, because you know their job is infinitely harder than the writers." And I was yeah. like, "Well, that seemed to work for Fraction." <laughs> so maybe, maybe I will take that bit of advice and you know have a quarter, a tenth of the the career that he had. Mm -hmm. uh, with the other characters that you've kind of um, the team has populated Charlie's yeah. world with. I mean, did you ever think about? Was there ever a moment where you were going to go like grittier with some of the characters, or you know, did you it, it, did? It, you base it on other folks that you saw in the years going to downtown Boston, or I mean, it's just such an interesting cast that you have put around 
Charlie. And I was just kind of curious in, in, in terms of like, what were your considerations in figuring out, all right, what, how weird can I get without it really breaking the groundedness of it, but still right. having enough of that whimsy for later on? Um, I felt like we could get as weird as we wanted to because we always kept Charlie grounded, right? Like when, when a homeless veteran is your main character and you are trying to write a comedy, the homeless veteran can't be the comedy that's mean and that's cruel and that's punching down. Yeah. You know, but you can surround him with ridiculous characters. You can put him in ridiculous situations and let the comedy come out of a very serious person dealing with incredibly ridiculous people. So, um, I was game for these characters to be as big and ridiculous as possible because comics rule. Um, and as far as like where the inspiration came from, yeah, it came from, you know, walking through Boston common. Um, there's, there's a group of girls who hula hoop, uh, that was inspired by a friend of mine who would be by Faneuil hall. And, you know, that's, you know, during the summer months, that's how she would make some extra money is, is she was a world-class hula hooper. Um, I was like, well, I've got to immortalize that. Yeah. Um, well, you gotta. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, and then again, where the credit goes to like, just let people play. I was like, yeah, there's a juggler. And then I was like, what if they're juggling chainsaws? I'm like, why aren't they juggling <laughs> chainsaws? You know, and why aren't they asking a six-year-old to throw a flaming stick as they're juggling chainsaws why not right you know um and again it i think it worked for the dichotomy of this story of you know there is there's always something going on in the background in you know kind of like in our lives like there's so much going on that we don't know about that we don't clock because we're so focused on what we're focused on you know, whatever's going through our brain, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and, you know, kind of like one of the themes of this book is like kind of the question of when you feel broken, you know, to the point you're like, eh, maybe I should just kind of like wall myself off. Um, and, you know, like, like maybe it'd be better for people if I just pulled away, you know, what's, what's the best, what's the best move? Is it to block yourself off? Or is it the riskier thing of opening yourself up, letting people in, letting other people's chaos in, and maybe that's actually what helps. Right. You know? Um, but again, it all goes back to that realization going home one day on the train of like, oh, I'm leaving a place that is just about to come to life. Like, I thought I was living my life, and I wasn't. Yeah. No, I get that. Um one of the other things I thought was really smart was, you know, I mean, it, it opens up with with Charlie ha has a heart attack, goes away, and that's yeah. kind of how he loses his spot um, when he comes back. Um, but very early on from that incident, like you 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 learn as as a, a reader that there are people in the park that know Charlie's there, that know yeah. that's his spot, and care a lot about him. Yeah. And it takes like another two or three issues, maybe you know, for, for Charlie to start to try and understand that, you know, and that, that, that 
development in the story. I thought it was really smart to show the reader early on that that there are people that care about Charlie. Um, because I, I really felt it helped, you know, it really connected, I think, helped me connect like like with Charlie and seeing like what his whole like deal was. Um and you know, to kind of see whether or not the those characters are going to get through. Like, yeah. are, are they going to be able to reach him? Um, you know, was a. I, I just really loved that that journey that they, you know, that Charlie went on with that, amongst all this other like bonkers stuff that is happening in this park. Again, that's that's you know, again, if we've done our job right, and I mean, you know, I I'm very bad at like giving myself you know i don't know any credit but like i feel like at this point two years of showing this book around and having like adult men tell me you made me cry like i think we i think we did it if you're if this is your type of book right like if you like fun stories that'll also rip your heart out on the next page um that universal truth that we're talking about you know of everybody goes through periods where they think Nobody cares, you know, um, and our brains are dumb, you know, kind of like, like talking about that newsletter, uh, part of the, part of the reason, reason I started that newsletter is to work on the mental side of creativity and honestly, just my mental side of that part that says, you know, ah, nobody cares, yeah. you know, um, you, you can run a successful podcast, you, you know, a successful Kickstarter, um, you can, you know, go to a convention and sell dozens and dozens and dozens of books. And Wednesday you'll still sit around and go, what am I doing this for? Nobody cares. Oh, um, yeah. hundred you know, <laughs> percent. You know, we have all, not only have we all been there, we've also been the person on the other side of like, you know, my God, if I could just take you into my head and see, let you see the world through my eyes and how many people care. Right. Um, and that that frustration of seeing somebody you love go through um, a, a dip like that, and the only thing you can do is like you know patch up their wounds, and you know you you tell them that they're loved and that you care about them, and you hope that this time it's it sticks, right? You know, or you know the 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 stars align that they hear it they they hear it when they can hear it, right? Yeah, like I said, we've all been there, and so by kind of leaning into that, you know, universal truth, and you know, everybody says write what you know, and that doesn't mean I'm writing about being a copywriter. It's like, no, what I know is sometimes my brain is stupid, and short circuits reality, you know, reinterprets reality into something much worse and less lovable. You know, that's what I know. So how how can we kind of explore that and wrap it around a clown and somebody in a bear suit fighting over a <laughs> bunking spot in a city park? You know, so, so yeah. sneak the heart in between the humor. Right. And those yeah. some, some of my favorite comics is is uh, that's what they do. And to me, that's up close magic. And so I wanted to give it a shot. Well, I, I think it's very successful. Um, I loved it. And I, um, I I think it's one of those comics that uh, people will read it who maybe aren't familiar with comics. And like I think we were talking about it before we started recording, but probably one of the reasons it's on 
I think CBR did an article like yeah. 10 comics for people who hate superheroes, um, which is fantastic. And, uh, you know, if anyone find, you know, can Google that article and it's actually a great list of 10 comics, uh, one of which is Charlie Spot. Um, and I, I think because if someone isn't familiar with comics now, like if I mentioned to somebody in my office that I like comics or read comics or if anyone finds out about this podcast that I work with, um, <laughs> you know, you'll sometimes still get looks. And yeah. I think I think Charlie Spot is one of those comics that somebody who maybe hasn't been around or checked out a comic in a while would read and say, I didn't know this is what comics were. Or could or, be. Or are. Or, yeah, or could yeah. be. Yeah. I, I definitely think it's one of those that you would hear that. Like, I didn't know this is what people were doing in comics. They were telling these kinds of stories, you know? Yeah. And it's yeah, right, because you know, it's it just it just it just is what it is, right? Like it it everybody's introduction to comics is Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, and all that stuff. And we all, you know, if if you're if you know, you know, there are some amazing dramatic stories, you know, like rip your heart out, make you rethink the world in a good way, stories in there, like. When you break it down, Peter Parker is one of the most amazing characters ever created. Um, but it is also wrapped around Batman 66. It is, you know, like how many articles from like non-comic book people have started like, pow, kabam, comics is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right. like we've, we've all seen it. And, you know, those in the know, we roll our eyes because we know it's so much bigger than that you yeah. know it's it's an i'm gonna butcher the name but it's an alistair polyp that blew me away you know when i started diving into more i don't i don't know what the word is because i also don't want to insult anybody you know but these like slice of life um books that like you can see the author just putting their heart right on the page yeah, you know, like no armor, nothing, um, and that's that stuff is amazing. Um, again, we're talking talking that up close magic recently ish because I think it ended maybe three or four years ago. Scotty Young's Middle West, like, oh my god, I love Middle. I West. blew me away. Like just bringing that name up just made the hair go up. Um, that book. You know, it's a comic book, but I'm the number of times I would turn a page, read something and and just my night stop for five minutes because he, you know, he found some way to just bring that real human condition. You know, something that that I was working on, fighting on, feeling in my head, it's staring right back at me like you know the humanity is staring right back at me in a completely ridiculous over the top fully taking advantage of the comic book medium and then when you're feeling comfortable you know bam and um you know one of those comics you were talking about that was listed on that cbr article along with us was strangers in paradise and I think, you know, it took me a while as an adult to figure out, like, who do I want to be when I grow up? It's Terry Moore. <laughs> you know, Strangers in Paradise and Motor Girl. God, I love Motor Girl. You know, Motor Girl is a story that has aliens in it, that has a giant talking monkey in it, 
but it's really about someone surviving and trying to survive PTSD. And what does that look like? And that feel like, um, and, you know, just again, spiritually, what those books do that I want to emulate is, like I said, have you take full advantage of comic books? Like they're especially strangers in paradise. There are like big over the top comic booky moments in there. It was like, well, this is ridiculous. It's fun, but it's ridiculous. And then the most human parts of life are, are, are exactly on the next page. Like I said, you know, motor girl aliens are landing on one page and then she's having the most honest, difficult conversation about being her on the next page. And it all works. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like when that happens, it's that, that's why I, that's why I love comics. I mean, because you don't, uh, I mean, um, just the things you can do visually, the things you can show and, you know, I, movies, I, I mean, I love movies too, but sometimes you're constrained by a budget. Um, yep. You know, you're the, the comic, you're constrained by what um, uh, the artist can draw, which nowadays, I mean, you can do just about like anything. And I, I just love when folks are kind of pushing that medium, whether or not it's narratively or the type of story they're telling or whether it's visually and we're seeing like, you know, panel layouts like we've never seen before, yeah. whether it's it's in the lettering. Um, yeah, it's just one of the reasons I, I love it. But those are two, you know, fantastic examples. I mean, Middle West, if anyone who's listening hasn't read that, Scotty Young and Jorge Corona, I think, was the, yeah. the main artist on it. But that's just a, it's a phenomenal comic book. It Like I said, it, when you break it all down to like Middle West, yeah, it's this big over-the-top, comic booky story filled with amazing sets and amazing characters and amazing drawings at the heart of it is, a, is that fear that, Oh my God, am I going to turn out just like my dad? Yeah. Holy fuck dude. Like, like, like how, you know, we've all been there. We have, you know, we have all been there of like, looking at the parts of ourselves we wish we could change and we can kind of see where they came from, you know, or flip it around to being a parent. We see in our kid is like, Oh, that was my DNA. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they didn't have a choice in that ism that came from me. And I'm really, really sorry. You know, I'm going to help you navigate it as much as I can. Uh, but I, but I own it. Uh, sorry about that kiddo. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's, that's such a real human raw emotion, fear reality. And to explore that in amazing, beautiful, colorful, over the top worlds, that's the, that's the chocolate around the pill, you know, mm -hmm. that, that you can then sneak in, like I said, those devastating pages that open up something in you, you know, and that's, that's yeah. Like everything you said, that's what makes great comics. Great. Yeah. I know why I keep I diving agree. back in. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I don't want to keep you too long, George, but if you have, I wanted to ask you about something else. If you have, yeah. uh, you still have a little bit of time we can, because we can talk forever. And that's more of a warning than okay. anything. That's for fine. You. Oh, because I, I, 
I love talking about this stuff. Well, I wanted to talk about one of the other projects you were involved in, if I could, the toddler apocalypse, because I absolutely love it. Thank you. The stories are so good. It's it's just some some of my like favorite creators. Some folks that have been on the podcast before. I think uh, uh, Jay uh, uh, Shake has a story in it. Yep. Um, but uh, I, uh, Kath, I, I don't. They haven't been on the podcast, Kath but Kath Lobo, Kath Lobo. Um, love her. Yeah, Love there are her. just some just um, some amazing creators, and the the whole for anyone who doesn't know, it, it's like a series of short comics, and it's all kind of themed around it. It's some type of apocalyptic event, and you have kids, and <laughs> like it, it 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 goes. The, the stories cover all kinds of different topics, and there are yeah. some that are devastating, um, and there are some that are comedic and. Uh, it's just wonderful. Just what a wonderful, I mean, I didn't know what to expect because I think it was one of those things where you were talking about it on Twitter or somebody, and I was like, oh, it, it, I, I like following George. Oh, he's got a project. Yeah, I'll back it. I'll check it out. Toddler Apocalypse. Oh, it's, I don't know, 60 some, 70 pages, whatever. And I thought, oh, this this sounds neat. And I got into it. And I, saw it, and I really honestly did not pay uh, too much attention to like the Kickstarter campaign page, right? I was just like, oh, George seems cool. This project seems neat. Let's hear it. Yeah, we'll, we'll give it a go. And when I got into it, I, I mean, the, uh, the, the blue car story devastated me. Um, mm-hmm. And the other one with the, the girl didn't want to put her shoes on because they were itchy. Um, I mean, like, I have to, because I've got it digitally. I was like, okay, I got to turn off the iPad. I got to walk away. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, devastated. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I'm so toddler apocalypse, like you know, the log line or the pitch is uh that we believe in a real apocalyptic scenario, it won't be the aliens, the zombies, or the robots that kill you, it'll be your freaking kids. <laughs> so, you know, with with parental love and tongue in cheek, we you know riff on all of our favorite apocalyptic scenarios and show how having your kid with you would make everything so much more difficult. Um, and you know, it's, it, a lot of us were parents, uh, the co-creator, uh, my, and my, my friend for like 30 years at this point, Diana Porter, it was originally her idea, um, and wanted to do it as a web series and we kicked it around and then realized, oh, if you want to do a web series of this, like if you can't make it look like Terminator, then the gimmick fails. You know, if you can't make realistic looking zombies on camera, then, then, you know, like I said, the gimmick fails. And so she was like, well, this is a fun idea. Then, you know, we had a great dinner kicking this around, but I was like, but there's something there. So I just held on to it. And we were talking about, you know, finding people on Twitter and, and curating that Twitter list, um, around 2000, you know, for reasons, um, (laughs) I put a very, I put a lot of energy into making my timeline better. And for me, that was carving away things that were bumming me out and adding more things that were making me happy. And that was artists, um, not only artists, but like positive artists, like I would like to hang with this person type of artist. And that list kept growing. And day after day, it's like, oh, I'd love to do something with them. Oh, I'd love to do something with loved it. And I was like, wait a second. I've now got this growing list of artists. Some I know. Some I know, you know, Twitter, you know, like, like, this looks great. Thanks, man. Like, that's the amount of 
interaction we had had and some people I'd never interacted with, but like, I was loved their work and their vibe. Um, I was like, okay, so I've got, we've got this anthology idea. Uh, selfishly, there are a lot of artists I want to work with. And with Diana's permission, um, I kind of smashed the two together. Starting read, started reaching out to artists um, and ended up with a freaking killer lineup. Yeah, like no, no joke. I mean, it is. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that, that helped, um, was it was eight page stories, you know, uh, and the people I was reaching out to again, it was personally, it's like, I really like what they do. I like their vibe. I want to work with them. You know, again, we kind of talk about mercenary, but, and, and I don't, and I say this just to like, be honest, just to let people know, like, this can be part of your thinking too. I wanted to be seen working with Jordi Perez who was working on the Firefly book at that time. I want to be seen working with Path Lobo, who can own the world whenever she wants. <laughs> she is that freaking good. You know, Alex Cormick, I've been friends with for forever. He is a workhorse. He is a pro's pro. Um, and it's like, I want to work with, I want to work with Alex. Um, and so eight-page stories. I could go to Jordy, like I said, who was working on Firefly at that point. I was like, hey, you know, four, four months for eight pages. You, you slip it into your schedule, whatever it works for you. And also bonus, I'm going to get the hell out of your way because, you know, especially in a, in a situation like that, like not only does just Jordy or anybody working on those types of books, not only did they have to work with their editor and their publisher there's the other ip ownership that's coming in so i can't imagine the number of cooks you know number of people telling like a jordy perez what to do and how to do it sure. i'm coming here to go like we're gonna have fun i'm gonna get out of your way because i trust you and i'd like to think that was a bit of the selling point for them as well right like something they yeah. can have more ownership of um and then we just get to have fun and Get to also so yes, we got to explore the different types of of sci-fi apocalyptic scenarios, but we also got to explore the different sides of parenthood, you know. Um, and you're talking about, you know, um the the uh the that story is called I'm ready about the girl with the itchy shoes. Yeah. The gimmick, the gimmick of the story is the meteor's coming. And if you don't get on this bus to the underground shelter, you're done. It's over with. Like we've all seen that, you know, what is it? The day after tomorrow or something like that. Um, and so it's just playing into that. Like when you're a parent, you're always going to be five minutes late. You yeah. can get ready 30 minutes earlier than you think of. You're going to be five minutes late for some to us ridiculous reason to the child, the most important thing at the moment. And then those, when you feel worse, the, you're worse as a parent, when you, for a moment, you've lost all your defenses and the truth comes out, <laughs> you know, that no five-year-old should really ever have to hear. Yeah. And just the heartbreak that goes into that right the this 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 person that you've 
sworn to take care of and to protect and to love no matter what they see you at your worst you know and and yeah. and playing with that um you know this isn't all heavy like there's a whole nother story that basically you know si- how sibling rivalries will s- totally screw up your 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 attempt to survive the robot apocalypse oh yeah um but yeah you and then the other one that you mentioned uh Kath Lobo again just i love i love her art so much oh yeah and she wrote and she drew the most honest heart i don't know heartbreaking because it does end on a positive note but like the love that she has for her children is 100% on every panel of that page and it's a you know it's it's the wave is coming you know the 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 wave to end all waves is coming and the family's trying to get up the hill to save themselves but this the child's favorite toy is left in the car and what do you do you your kid is freaking out that their wooby is going to get left behind and mm-hmm. you know chances are if you have a kid you know exactly what toy i'm talking about my son had a stuffed lion named bear bear because two year olds named lion named lions bear bear <laughs> um and bear bear went everywhere with him um you know bear bear i will forever be in bear bear's debt just due to the number of doctor visits and shots that bear bear helped logan get through and so if i'm facing down a wave and my son needs bear bear because he's scared i'm gonna try and get bear bear for him i know what i'm risking i know it's ridiculous but i also know how scared he is and it's just it's when we got the pages back from Kath, i was like oh it was one of those fun moments of of like oh i get to do that thing where the dialogue has nothing to do with the story because she has drawn this story so well, it's telling its own, like, Oh yeah. I could have left that wordless and you'd understand the story. You'd under, not only right. the surface level, but the emotions going into it. So it got yeah. kind of like our, our mission statement about parenthood, you know? And when, and I was like, yeah, that's the hammer for the book. Like that's the closing story. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful story. And on one sense, you're like, well, I mean, practically speaking, you're not, you're not going to run to go get, you know, Bear Bear or get yeah. the blue car or whatever. Yeah. It, but the way you, you read the story and, and the, the inner, you know, the, narr- the narration or the inner monologue and like, you're like, oh no, no, this, I'm wrong. That makes perfect sense. I know exactly why he's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, I, you I know. Remember- I remember the night we came back for my parents. They live about half an hour away. It was an hour after bedtime. And, you know, we're trying to put him to bed. And we realize we left Bear Bear at my parents' place. Logically, you'd say, hey, we'll just go back next weekend. No, we're not. You know, my wife, like, my wife got back into the car, you know, at whatever, 10 at night to go to drive half an hour to pick up a stuffed animal to right. bring the stuffed animal back. I had another half hour. So our son 
could like one stop crying, but so he could sleep well because he left the most important thing to him away. And at what I think he's like two, they, they can't, they can't logically understand a to B to C. Right. They're hurting. Yeah. They are legitimately hurting. You know, and as a parent, you're like, I will do whatever needs to be done because yeah. I don't want to see you in this much pain. If there's something I can do to stop this pain, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And, and even some of the funny stories, though, kind of like drive home the point. And I mean, I, I don't know. I don't read like parenting blogs maybe, or <laughs> listen to parenting podcasts. I mean, maybe I, I should, but it, certainly when I was growing up, it didn't seem like anybody talked about how hard parenting was maybe because that was, I was a kid and I didn't hear about it, but I never, I I think if I asked my, my parents today, they were like, no, that's just what their parents did. That's just what, what they did. I think there's more now in recent years for an acknowledgement, you know, like, no, no parenting's like, it's like really hard. Like no matter what, (laughs) even when it's, even when there's not an apocalypse, like (laughs) super hard. And I say that knowing that it's like way harder on my wife than it is on me because like my six year old won't let me put her to bed. I mean, she will sometimes, but it's like always a struggle. She just wants my wife to put her to bed still at six. And like, my wife's like, well, she's been with them since they got home from school. And she just like, like needs a break. Just like, just like, just like something. And that's, that's fine. And it's like, yeah, even when it's not an apocalypse, it's really hard. And then you think, Oh, now there's apocalypse on top of it. (laughs) Yeah. I just it it's just it's they're wonderful stories. It really is great. Really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, and you know, if if anybody wants to check it out, um, so my my website is homelesscomics.com and there's a link right up top that lets you download previews of everything. Yeah, and I'll put links uh up in the show notes for uh wherever you listen to the podcast, there'll be a link. So you can go and um, and click it and check out your website and the newsletter and Homeless Comics and especially a link for the Kickstarter for Charlie Spot. Thank you, man. Which will be on Kickstarter until till June sixteenth. Yeah. And I encourage everyone to check it out. It is just a, a fantastic story. It is both grounded and magical. And when you get to like the fourth issue, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, and you'll be glad you did. Um, George, I, I, I feel bad keeping you any longer, but I, uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This was an absolute blast. And like I said, it, it, watching the energy and positivity you put into the community, uh, this has been, you know, bucket list stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah. Cause what I really dig what you're doing and I appreciate it. Well, thank you. That's, that's very nice of you to say. Um, and we're going to have to have you come back because we didn't get to talk about you being the Affleck duck on Facebook and Twitter for a year and a half. So I have to hear about that. So next time we'll, we'll start there. <laughs> anytime, anytime. That was, that was a fun, that wasn't a bad time to be a copywriter. That was a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. But uh, yeah, we'll hear all about it. We'll have to have you back, George. Um, anytime. Well, thank you very much uh, for being here and thank you. Uh, for listening and rate and review and subscribe and do all those things and be sure to check out Charlie spot. And um, if, uh, if you are listening to this and it's still the month of June, 
I have a short story with James Greatorex in the Comics from the Kitchen anthology on Zoot. So you can check that out. It's got uh, comics and uh, it's a cookbook. It's also all the recipes that the food stories are about. So that's always nice. That's awesome. um, and Zoot is yeah. a fantastic platform as well. Yeah, I'm really enjoying a lot of the stuff that they're that they're putting out, and they're. Uh, I think right now, I think it's right now they have like an art of what is it? Um, is it, is it Jorge Molina? They have oh, like yeah, a, yeah, yeah. And, so, yeah, Zerdo, the art of Jorge Molina. They have that right now. That's uh, I think running for like two more weeks or so. Yeah, and they've just had some some re- putting some really interesting things out. So yeah. that's that's fun to see. So um, yeah, uh, but. All right. Well, uh, again, uh, for Comic Book Yeti, I'm Jimmy Gasparro. And uh, please check out Charlie's Spot. And uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to George and I talk. And George is going to come back. And um, thank you very much. I'll see you next time. Good night, everybody. Good night, George. (laughs) This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.